Good morning, everybody. It's really good um, to be with all of you always, and particularly on days like today. What a gift to get to worship the Lord um, in this way, especially. We are so thankful. Today is the um, first day in the season of Epiphany, and a day in the church calendar known as the um, Baptism of Our Lord. So, um, what a fitting day to be able to baptize these little ones who belong to us. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. You can get those out and turn there. We'll read and then we'll pray, see what God has to say to us. This is Luke chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 15. Luke writes, As the people were filled with expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. Jesus answered all of them by saying, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, we are, Lord, thankful, God, for the gift of the church. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of worship, being able to say to you, Lord, what it is that we believe, and also, Lord, admit to you somehow at the same time what we need, Lord, your spirit in helping us to believe. So we ask you now, Holy Spirit, by your grace, God, would you set a firm foundation underneath our feet today, Lord? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus? Lord, and in seeing you, make somehow all the rest of it more clear. Give us, Holy Spirit, the courage we need to choose to follow you, Lord. Would your peace come here, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so I mentioned earlier, this is the first uh, Sunday in a new season. We've now officially moved out of uh, Christmas. So uh, you weren't late if you still haven't taken down your Christmas tree. You are now late. If it's still up, now you're late. Um, this is the season following Christmas that stretches between now and Lent, and which we're called by the church. And you know, I didn't grow up Anglican. I'm assuming probably a lot of you may have not grown up in traditions where you observe the church calendar. So words like epiphany um, and even a long Christmas, all that may be new and unfamiliar to you. You're not alone. That's true for many of us. But every year I'm reminded of the gift of um, this calendar, these seasons, because they help remind us of things that we're prone to forgetting. They call us to um, you sort of pay attention to things that we're also prone to um, not thinking about, forgetting, moving past. For this season, for Epiphany, like during Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus was born, that he came, miracle enough in its own right. But the thing that's really cool about Epiphany is that we're called to remember that not only did Jesus come, he was born, but that God had to do something to make him known, to reveal him to people who were not looking for him, expecting him, watching or waiting for him to come. 
You know, like there were people who knew that God was doing something really miraculous, crazy. Those like Mary, Joseph, the small people around John, Elizabeth, Zechariah. Some of these people knew that Jesus was coming, that he was a big deal, but so many people didn't. And so God had to reveal him. You think about the Magi, those wise men who came um, from so far away led by a star. God showing them who Jesus was. We think about the shepherds. And we think about today, people like those people who went out looking for John, not for Jesus. The thing that all these people have in common is that they were looking for something. They were on a search. But none of them were looking for Jesus. And yet, God used the search, the longings that they had, to lead them to him anyway. Give them an epiphany, an aha moment with God. And I am so thankful for the reminder, A, that even though I've been sort of walking with Jesus for a very long time, I can never not have aha moments. I'm going to like keep having those for the rest of my life. Every year I get to have the invitation of like having another aha, another way of seeing him, a new revelation of who he is. It's also a reminder though, I think to all of us, that if we're searching for something, something like good and ultimate, pure and true, you know, Things like love, things like meaning and purpose, direction. If you find yourself here today, somebody who is searching or longing for something kind of ultimate, and you know, if you're here and you're not, what, I mean, 2022 is looking up for you. What a year it will be. I suspect, particularly at this time of year, a lot of us come into a time like this longing for stuff, searching for something, a turning point, a change. We want a new direction. We want love that we don't have, peace that we don't have. And here's the promise that I received both in this season and in this story from the Bible today for myself. It is a reminder to me that when I am searching and longing for ultimate things, that God will use that search to lead me to Jesus. And that's true if you're Christian or not. The search for ultimate things always leads us to him. Because he is within himself, the truest and realest thing. So this is the sort of first of three things I want to say to you today. I think they're up on the screen, on the slide. That's the first one. God works through searching and longing to show us Jesus. Uh, The people in this story, I want us to think together about the text for a second. In the story, people have come out to see John the Baptist. He's a big deal at this point. He's not only just a big deal for the way he baptizes, you know, um, but people believed John to be a prophet. He was something to see, somewhat of a spectacle. But that wasn't just because, you know, of what he wore, what he ate, or that he said really wild things. John was no doubt a kind of wild person, man, relatively speaking. Um, But people knew that he was anointed. They sensed the spirit of God in him, like God working through him, and so they were drawn to that. Here's what I noticed, though. Sitting with this text um, again, after doing it many, many times, is that what happens when people are led to John is that John sort of immediately deflects and pushes them towards Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah. So they came to him and said, are you the guy? The Messiah, by the way, if you don't know if you're here and you've never or maybe heard that word before, Messiah is like a big Jewish deal. You know, he's the one who was going to lead God's people to heal and save the world, the anointed one, the Christ. People thought maybe that was John. So they came to him, they asked, and then John said, no, it's not me. Um, And here's what I love about John. He didn't just pretend in a sort of like shy and embarrassed way to not be Jesus, which is probably what I would have done. Oh no, it's, it's not me, you know. 
Like he was flattered by the confusion, you know. It's not what he does. Um, John says, no, it's not me. In fact, I'm not even worthy to bend down and tie a shoe. I get to baptize you with water. But when he comes, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, Jesus changes you. John so quickly and intentionally, adamantly diverted people's attention away from himself and to Jesus. And it wasn't just his words. He then went about um, dismantling his own platform, lest people continue to confuse him with Jesus himself. And um, I was thinking, the Christian world could probably use a lot more Johns, you know? There was something in him that lived to point people towards Jesus. It was who he was, it was in his bones. He was a real thing, a true thing. Spirit of God at work in him in a real and true way. And in that way, John was like all other real, ultimate, and true things. In our search for them, they always end up pointing us towards Jesus. If I go looking for love, because it is real and true and a gift of God given for the sake of God's people. What it does sort of Im immediately, like a signpost, N.T. Wright would say, is I find the thing and I find it an arrow that is pointing beyond itself, just like John. People went looking for John and like an arrow is what they found, pointing towards Jesus. Justice is the same way. It's never meant to be an end in and of itself. If we make it an end, we distort it. Love, as good as it is, never meant to be an end in and of itself. It will always point you beyond itself towards something else. The quote that always comes to mind is uh, from C.S. Lewis. He wrote, of course, <laughs> you're shocked, I know. Um, the quote that always comes to mind from him, I, I love it so much. He, he says this. He says, in surprised by joy, all joy reminds. You can insert anything there, beauty, art, meaning, truth, ultimately. It all reminds. It is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Ultimate things point beyond themselves to Jesus. Here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that if you today are looking for something like love, you really just want to get married. What I'm not saying is, no, you don't. You just want Jesus. That's what you really need. If you came here today looking for peace, I'm not saying, no, it's not peace you're after. It's Jesus. You've just been calling it the wrong thing all this time. No. I suspect you want peace. I suspect you want love. There are things in my life, particular things, that have a name, unique things that I want and I'm searching for and longing for. What I am saying is that if I will be open along the way, if I'm really after the good, the real, the true thing, then it's very likely that the pursuit of that thing will end up leading me towards Jesus. If I'm open to that. Because all good, right, and true things point that direction. The Bible says all things have been created through him and for him, ultimately. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't know what brought you here by name, the thing you're searching for or longing for. But I would say to you, as humbly as I can, be open. If it's peace you're looking for, keep looking. 
If it's meaning you're looking for, keep looking. If it's truth you want, keep digging, asking questions. Don't check your brain. In fact, hold on to it. God gave you that brain. I suspect he intends that you use it. There's no question that's off limits. Keep asking the questions. Just be open. Be open. And if the arrows point towards Jesus, follow them. I suspect they might. They have for me. This is the second thing I want to say. Jesus gathers the wheat and burns the chaff. John says this. He says this of Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I will have to live a long time before the words unquenchable fire are a blessing to me. I grew up Baptist. So the first thing that I want to say is if you grew up in a tradition, or maybe not in the church at all, um, but if you grew up in a tradition, particularly where you hear words like this and you're sort of immediately postured to assume that what John is saying is that Jesus came to save some people, that's the wheat, and send other people to hell, that's the chaff, and that we all ought to just like it because that's who he is. And you just like can't hear anything else because that's just what's in your mind. All I would ask is that for a minute you just put it over here, just like set it aside and help your brain try to hear something else without even like discussing or debating the legitimacy of that understanding. Just put it over here because the Bible is sort of endlessly trying to show us new things. I I've been with it a long time, with this verse a long time, and in my own life it's saying something new to me right now. In part, um, this. Here's what I I know uh, to be true. That John wants these words to speak to all the people that he was talking to. That he has something to say about who Jesus is that matters for all of us. To every person. Uh, And here's what I know about following Jesus. That my life with him will be an ongoing work of being refined, sifted, and set free all my life. So John says, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What he means is, if you choose to follow him, all of you are going to be invited into an ongoing work of growing, of being sifted, of being refined and of being set free. It will happen over and over and over again. That's life with him. When he comes and his Holy Spirit comes, that's what happens. The image that John uses is of a winnowing fork, a farmer. When a farmer winnows wheat, and I say that to you like I have any idea what happens when a farmer winnows wheat, but I clearly do not know what happens when a farmer winnows wheat. Here's what the internet has told me about what happens. A farmer takes a winnowing fork, which is like a big fork, sticks it into a pile of wheat grain, and then, you know, throws it, tosses it up in the air. The idea is that as it's tossed up into the air, the current of wind, air, will blow through and separate the grain from the chaff, the wheat from the chaff so that the chaff blows away and the wheat falls and is gathered. Here's what I know about people. We're a mixed bag, all of us. I don't know anyone who's all wheat. Do you know what I'm saying? 
You might be thinking, no, but I know some people who are all chaff. <laughs> There's some, not even them. We're all a mixed bag. You know what chaff is? Chaff is the dry, brittle, flimsy, fragile, less substantive part of the grain. The dry place, the brittle place. And all it takes is a gust of wind to blow it off and send it away. In my life, I am a mixed bag. There are places in me that are dry, brittle, fragile. There are places in me that are less substantive than they should be. That's true for you too. It's true for all of us. And I think what Jesus is saying is that underneath all of that is something really good. They can actually bless people, nourish people. That is a gift to the world. And so what John was saying is that meeting Jesus is like you are the wheat that passes through the wind and the chaff comes off of you and the grain settles to the ground. The part that is worth gathering, holding on to so that it can be used not only to feed your own soul but the people around you. That's the thing he keeps, he cultivates. The rest of it, he just blows it away like the wind. His spirit moves through us. And in that way, the winnowing fork is an instrument of grace. It works with the Spirit to send the shallow parts, the dry parts in me away and to gather up the good. That's, a, that's good news. That's not a reason to run and hide from Jesus, the flamethrower. He's going to burn you if you don't love him the right way, which is no gospel at all. We don't do anyone any good by pretending it is. It's just not. But that I could be liberated from shallow parts in my own soul, that the dry places in me he could send away and cultivate the depth in me, the fruit in me, so that I could bless other people. You know, humans can't eat chaff, I learned in my wiki search. Um, we don't eat that part. Cows do, though. Livestock, the inhuman world, beastly things can feed on the chaff, the waste materials, but not people. People need the grain. They need substance. And so that'll also preach the people around you. This world needs more of the substance in you. Let the Holy Spirit separate it from the chaff. That doesn't just happen once. It's an ongoing process in your life with God. If this is you right now, I suspect I've never been wheat, but being tossed up in the air and having the wind blown through you, probably not terribly comfortable. It's unsettling. But what if there's an invitation, a promise here, really, to say, just let me do it. Let me just throw you up a little bit and blow all that junk off and set you free. What if his winnowing fork is a tool of your liberation, is what I'm saying. Thirdly, last thing, in baptism, Jesus identified with us so that we could identify with him. A lot of things we could say about baptism. In baptism, Jesus identified with us so that we could, I could identify with him. One of the things I love about the Bible is the invitation to reimagine these stories over and over and over again. And this is one of those I've spent a lot of years imagining because I have to talk about the baptism of Jesus a lot or read about it a lot just like you do. 
But I want you to work with me to imagine the scene of Jesus being baptized. John had been preaching on the banks of the Jordan about Jesus, and he'd been saying provocative things about him, things that did not sound warm, fuzzy, and cozy like Jesus was a comfortable figure, you know? He's going to come with the Holy Spirit and with fire and a winnowing fork in his hand, you know? <laughs> it's just a lot, you know? And I suspect it sounded like a lot to people. It puts you on your heels a little bit. Who is this Jesus and what will his coming mean for all of us? Which is exactly what John was going for. But when Jesus actually came to be baptized, what happened? Do you remember? He just showed up. Not with a flamethrower or a winnowing fork. He just came and he stood in line next to people like you and me, regular people, sinning people. And I don't know that he chatted, but I bet he probably did. He just chatted in line and he waited his turn and then he walked down and he got in the water just like everybody else. And when John protested, tried not to baptize him, he said, I can't do this, this is backwards, I, you need to baptize me. Jesus said, put me in the water, John. We have to do it this way. And when John baptized him, the heavens were opened, and people heard God say, This is my son, he is beloved, and with him I am well pleased. All my life I have wondered, Why would that matter for me? Of course, he's beloved, he's Jesus. And you can tell me that I'm the same, but how do I feel that I'm the same? Well, Here's what I know today. In this particular moment in Jesus' life, the first time people heard audibly the voice of God or that Jesus was revealed to that many people, you know what he did? He walked, he stood in line, and then he was baptized. He let somebody else hold him and put him down under water. There were no heroics. Nothing supernatural happened. No miracles. Jesus didn't do anything in this moment that I can't do. In other words, it was a simple act of obedience. And I wonder if some of you, like me, need to hear and be reminded that it is not your epic feats, it's not your heroic faith that makes you beloved or someone who can be used by God. It's simple obedience, one foot in front of the other. Humility, what a powerful thing. Like me, I bet you probably spend a lot of time wishing you could do more of the heroic stuff. I also wish I did more of the heroic stuff. Spend a lot of time being frustrated, but you know, you'd think I could do more of the, I want to see the supernatural stuff all the time. But I've been reminded lately that in his baptism, in the Lord's Supper, the sacraments that he gave us, and ultimately in the cross, there were no heroics, no miracles. Jesus just walked really obediently like any of us can. He took a towel off his waist so he could wipe people's feet. He got baptized. He died. He humbled himself. So can you, like me, hear God say, it's not the hero stuff that he's after in your life. It's simple obedience. It's faith. One foot in front of the other. With you, he is well pleased.
Jesus did it this way so that we could hear him say, it's you. You are beloved. Your life that God wants to work through in the way that you live it. I pray that you would receive that from him. And if you have not been baptized, God wants to claim you. He wants to claim you in a way that a proud parent wants to claim a child. That's why we do it this way. And if you find yourself lost and adrift and searching for something and you have never been baptized, let God claim you. You can be found with him here in his family. That's the promise. Email me. We'll talk. Or email Chris. Let's stand together if we can.